There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Derek Proven, Chief Executive of AGS Airports. And to give his monthly update, we have Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So, gentlemen, the Scottish Government has finally unveiled its 10-year economic strategy. Fair to say, reaction has been mixed. Scottish Chamber of Commerce was largely positive. But, Tom, you hit the headlines by being somewhat critical. Why? Well, I think I was quite balanced, Donald, if I'm honest about it. I've read what you've said in the Herald. Oh, well, okay. So here's the the positive parts and the parts to be welcomed, is that it has dealt with the key areas of entrepreneurship, something about education and productivity. So these are the things which we need to focus upon. But, and it's a big but, you know, there are some 70, 70 action plans here. And, you know, Kate Forbes has said she's going to bring laser focus. So I have never run any of my businesses where we're, we've got laser focus on 70 action plans. Never, ever. It just cannot happen. So this is a wish list, but as ever, it's all in the execution. And that's what I'm saying. Government here, 70 action plans, they're trying to micromanage this. In my opinion, the government should be setting the direction of travel. They should set a framework both for the regulatory and the tax framework for business and let business go on with it. Let's be clear, it's not it's not the government that make the jobs. It's not the government that pay the tax. It's not the government that make the wealth for the country. It's the business people. It's the entrepreneurs. And here, this just doesn't cut it for me. So, Willie, do you have as balanced a view as Tom? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to hear an unbalanced view yeah, from Tom. Exactly. But, <clears throat> but let me just say, I obviously read on the aftermath that the press were not invited, right? So mm-hmm. let me just say to anyone from the press who was unhappy about not getting invited, I actually went right to the launch. It took me two hours and twenty minutes to get there. And I sat like wee Johnny up the back of the class trying to ask my question and I never get asked. (laughs) So don't be disappointed that you didn't get invited. Uh, On a serious note, I think that um, it's ambitious. As Tom says, there's a few things in it. 
it's a bit woolly. There's a few things in it that if they can, especially the introduction of a entrepreneurial champion, and I think that's another discussion. I mean, how did he get that? Um, if, like all other strategies, especially one that's going to last for 10 years, the key to this will be getting those two key people Right, that will deliver this. So that's the person who will report to Kate on the inside and then the entrepreneurial champion officer. If if she leaves no stone unturned to get the Tory, and we don't mean pals of the government, whatever it may be, somebody we know, get the right people who have got an absolute passion, who believe in that document and who think that they can make a difference by delivering it. And that is the only way. And I would say, do not rush Take your time to get the right two people who can deliver on this. So, Tom, do you have confidence that the government will appoint the right people? Well, I hope so. Um, I was very encouraged that there's going to be an entrepreneurial champion. That was something which, when they asked for our opinion, we wanted. So I suppose we have got that. But it's, it's all about execution. And it's, and it's all about this other word called accountability, which Willie talks about all the time. You know, if I, in my business, set a strategy and I'm wrong, I lose my money. And so I should. If politicians set their strategy and then they don't execute and they don't deliver, are they ever held accountable? I'll leave it there. Yeah, what we don't need is, we don't need the fiasco that we've just had with a snip. You know, after the heralding this top-level executive from the banking industry who was going to head up the new Scottish Investment Bank to walk so quickly without any reason, uh, you know, or, or has been told any reason, I think we certainly don't need that. So I think that they will listen. But I've got to be honest, it doesn't go off to the best start when you've got accountability and transparency all over part of the document and then you don't allow the press. Now, I don't know who advised Kate on that, but obviously that was ill-advised. It's unusual for there to be secrecy in the government, isn't there? And particularly around the SNIB, the Scottish National Investment Bank, no explanation for Hayley McTaggart leaving. Either of you got an idea? Well, I haven't heard anything at all, but I just think that, and this is why it's important, see this, um, the, the entrepreneurial champion, you have to have an understanding of how the public service works. And maybe the lady has got, when she's seen the constraints of working within red tape, that maybe she's never seen. Now, I'm guessing here, but I do know for a fact that that will be the big, big problem in the new economic strategy for the next 10 years, to find someone who knows about entrepreneurship, who is happy to sit down and work within the red tape of government, I think that we're going to have to, that's a special person we're going to have to find. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Willie Watt, who's the chairman yep. of the Scottish National Me Investment too. Bank. Um, but when the chief exec walks yep. and Kate Forbes wouldn't take any questions on it, she wouldn't take any questions on anything yesterday, but um, she, she wouldn't take any questions on it. So, your mind just goes to, well, it can't be good news. There must be some criticism coming here. Um, and, you know, it's a public body and therefore there should be transparency and accountability. If it's a private company and say I get something wrong and I don't want to tell MD, that's kind of up to me. But if it's a government body and something's happened and they're getting paid by the public purse, 
Of course we've got a right to know. Of course we have. Here's my advice to the government. I'm sure Tom will agree with us. Let Willie Watt pick the next person himself. Absolutely. 100%. Well, can a state-funded bank ever truly be effective? Doesn't politics get in the way of important business and investment decisions? Yeah, well, I think, I think Donald, here, this, um, this national strategy has got politics all over it. But I suppose that's what government do. They, they play politics. And they've had to appease the Greens and they've had to appease this faction and this vested interest, etc., etc. You know, this is what I mean when I say this should be more business-led. The government should set the framework and then get out the way. Let businesses, let entrepreneurs get on with creating the wealth for the country. We don't need a 70-point action plan from government to tell business what to do. We just don't need it. You're right. Let's start with seven, and once we deliver them, get another seven and another seven bite size. <laughs> but Tom, it's really interesting, but that you make this point. Well, we're talking about accountability and transparency. <laughs> I was having a right chuckle reading yesterday. There's been 26 cabinet meetings, and the Greens haven't been invited to one of them. <laughs> in saying that, do you think the Greens have had an influence over this 10 year economic strategy? And is that a good or bad thing, Willie? I think there's a thread through it. You know, there's a lot of green issues, sustainability issues. Do I think they've been at the heart of the document? I don't think so. Tom? No, listen, I don't know enough about this. I will defer to Willie on the politics of this. But I, I just think, you know, a government writing 70 action plans for business, let business go on with it and get the government out of the way. Well, ultimately, will it make any difference to the Scottish economy long term? Don't, as you say, Tom, entrepreneurs just go on with it anyway and they don't wait on politicians to deliver them a promised land, do they? Tom, can I say to you before you sit in here, I think Kate Forbes is actually trying to do that. I think if Kate Forbes got the right people, I think Kate Forbes would want to be there as an enabler, but I honestly get the feeling that she would like government to move out the way a wee bit. Honestly. Yeah, I, listen, I'm an admirer of yeah. Kate Forbes. I know it maybe doesn't come across in my balanced point of view here, but um, I, I actually do think Kate Forbes is very capable, but she's getting pulled in all different directions to satisfy this bit of politics or this agenda. And, I mean, the other thing that, that's not getting tackled here is the public sector productivity. Yeah. You know, and I said this in my piece in the Herald through the week, you know, if we compare Scotland with Denmark, and, and Denmark is actually the second happiest place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what Scotland's aiming for here. They've got a well-being agenda, so fair enough. But our productivity, we, we have got about the same population, but we've got about 580,000 people working in the public sector in Scotland. Denmark's got about 338,000. But we are only 75% as productive as the Danes. So, come on. If we're going to look at productivity, it's not just the private sector that needs looked at here. It needs to be taken to the public sector. Accountability transparency, let business go on with it. I could not agree more, Tom. 
Yeah. They could start with 175 spin doctors. But anyway, moving <laughs> on, there are plans for a new online sales tax. They, they've actually been put on hold by the Treasury, and they reckon that a 1% tax on sales or a £1 levy per order could have raised a billion per year. So is that a missed opportunity to raise money and protect the high street, Tom? Yes, I mean... This is a thorny issue. You know, business rates, property business rates, raise a great deal of money. I can't quite remember off the top of my head how much. But, you know, when I sold my business back in the dinosaur age, there, there was no online sales. So 100% of my sales came through my shops and I paid my business property rates and that went to the government. But now, and the pandemic turbocharged this, you know, online sales as a proportion of the pie, the pie hasn't really got any bigger. So the overall size of the market has not got much bigger. But online sales are now equating for about 30 to 40% of the total market now. But we're still paying 100% business property rates. And therefore, if you're on the high street, you are being overtaxed. Therefore, we need some level playing field here to take account. But I mean, you know, it's it's a big thing to grasp. And do the politicians have the kahunas to do so? Obviously not. Really? I think it's more than a missed opportunity. This was a this was a chance, Tom, to level up. Right, there's not a level playing field between, you know, bricks and mortar retailers and online. And I think to be hitting people with NI contribution increases, to be hitting people with parking levies for car parking, I think it's a disgrace. And and, and I'm actually disappointed we're only talking about 1%. Well, can I turn to your high street expertise now, Tom? John Lewis has dropped his famous price guarantee, never knowingly undersold. A clever move in the face of online competition or damaging for the brand? Well, um, when I was Sports Division, we had a thing called lowest prices guaranteed. And um, we we matched everybody. But we but we didn't have online in these days. But um, if somebody bought something in JJB or JD and they could get it cheaper, we instantly matched that. And I think that was a good marketing ploy for our business. But online came and John Lewis, I mean, it kind of it kind of just highlights that high street department stores are a bit of a dinosaur. You know, House of Fraser is a, a shadow of its former self. Debenhams is gone. The customer is voting with his and her wallet. You know, and I've said it before, you know, we, we all cried when Woolworths and the pick and mix went, but it, it went because customers didn't shop there. Debenhams is gone. Why? Because they didn't give the customer what they wanted. And John Lewis cannot compete. I mean, that's quite a damning statement. We cannot guarantee that we'll be the lowest price anymore. That's a hell of a statement to make, but the writing's on the wall, Donald. 
Will they? Yeah, a lot of the big retailers over the last three to four years have dropped a lot of the kind of strap line sales. And it's, you know, so I think that, you know, you used to be able to go into some of the bigger retailers and take your till, you know, reading from another place and they would give you the discount, all of that stuff. I think all of this has been phased out. And I definitely think that, uh, especially the John Lewis one, it's a bit old hat and it was time to kind of move on. And as Tom says, because of the other big discounters now, they couldn't survive if they had to back up that pledge. Well, we're now joined by a man who's never knowingly undersold Glasgow, Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce, to give his regular update. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Thanks very much. What is happening in Ukraine has many consequences, most of which are well beyond the remit of a city or a chamber of commerce. But I know many Glasgow businesses are actively involved in collecting aid donations for the people of Ukraine right now. The messages we have received from our colleagues at British Chambers of Commerce guide us on the UK government's economic sanctions, which, of course, all responsible companies will respect. The government is also highlighting cyber attacks as an increasing threat. And so Glasgow Chamber is working with Ian Kerr and his team at ID Cyber Solutions, and with help from the Scottish Government to offer practical training to smaller businesses on the basic actions that you can take to increase your cyber security. That's happening all through March. On more positive news, the lifting of all COVID-related legal constraints on businesses on March the 21st signals a change in the atmosphere. The recovery of Glasgow's city centre will not happen immediately since the emphasis on hybrid working is retained in the Scottish Government's new strategic framework. It is helpful, however, that the framework makes clear that the decision on hybrid working is for businesses to make. And although most businesses will be operating some form of partial return to the office, there's also some very encouraging signs that some of the city's businesses in financial and business services have actually taken on more staff during the pandemic. But the damage to companies in retail, hospitality and hotels is obvious, not least in Soggy Hall Street. And the city centre task force is ramping up its work now that it is possible to plan for recovery. The Scottish Government is making more resources available to help. City Council has announced it will carry out fresh master planning for Glasgow's core shopping district, including Soggy Hall Street. That will help clarify the Council's expectations for more mixed-use investments like residential, leisure and workspace and affect the city's planning policies for those streets. It must also aim to build investor confidence adding to the signals coming from Landsec at Buchanan Galleries and Sovereign Centros at the St Enoch Centre. The City Centre Task Force will also soon receive final recommendations from the private sector team working on property repurposing, not just for empty retail units, but also for the empty offices in the older heritage buildings in our traditional central business district. Another confidence builder was the decision in the UK government's levelling up white paper naming Glasgow City Region as an innovation accelerator alongside Greater Manchester and West Midlands. I wear another hat as the chair of the Glasgow City of Science and Innovation, so it's no surprise to me that Glasgow's been recognised in this way and stands to share in what I hope is an initial £100 million allocated to the the three city regions. The goal is a familiar one, to grow the amount of research and development work in local companies and to do so using each city's existing strengths in scientific and technological research. We have been trying to achieve this for decades and so 100 million on its own is unlikely to crack it. But perhaps what is new is the focus on city regions and on the collaboration between the three that have been chosen. Work is underway to respond. We also have 
as we've been discussing earlier, the new economic transformation strategy from the Scottish Government. And we are, we're taking our time to absorb its implications. Um, there isn't much specifically about the role of cities or about Glasgow itself. Uh, once again, Glasgow's strategic strengths pass unnoticed. I don't want to be picky, but why are Edinburgh and Dundee acknowledged for their digital technology industries, but no recognition of Glasgow under, say, space, photonics, creative industries, life sciences, or indeed digital technologies? It would also have been helpful to have uh, some commitment to assets like the SEC. Perhaps the content is broadly familiar, Many already published and valuable strategies like Trading Nation, Mark Logan's report on the technology ecosystem or the draft report on transport priorities being collected together under the one cover. There is some relief that the strategy commits to freshening relationships with business. Nor do I find the emphasis on a well-being economy that recognises the importance of achieving economic growth, sustainability and inclusivity uh, together an especially controversial concept. It's something we fully support in Glasgow. But the appetite amongst our members for strategy documents like this is for swift delivery. There are, for example, staff shortages in industries like construction, hospitality, digital and shipbuilding, which call for a more urgent response. And in Glasgow, where there are still too many citizens unqualified or disconnected from work, this is surely an opportunity we should grasp right now with determined national support. Well, there's a heck of a lot going on there, Stuart. I've got to say, you said the recovery of the city centre will not happen immediately and maybe bring in Willie in here. Why would you go into the city centre, given the state it is at the moment? Well, as a proud Glaswegian, when I was in the city centre last week, I was astounded. And Stuart, I'd like to ask you, I hope that the task force has at its heart, its number one thing that people must need to talk about is the state of the antisocial behaviour in the city centre. It's getting worse and worse. They've got all these feral youths going about, like delinquents, crazy. People will give our city centre a wide berth if these kids are allowed to run wild in Glasgow. I was, I was coming for the gobbles and seeing everything I've seen in my life, I was absolutely shocked to see the behaviour of these people all over. And I've seen them all around Royal Exchange Square. If they're allowed to take that down, the, the way it looks like just now, with the graffiti and the state of the place, if that spills onto Buchanan Street, I'm really worried for the city centre in its entirety. Very, very clear cut in the City Centre Task Force that that is an issue uh, that we need to tackle. And we are engaging with the police directly on that, uh, understanding who's got the powers to intervene and uh, what, how far do they need to go. So you can be assured it's something on the immediate agenda for the task force, but I fully understand what you're saying. But see if there was 10 things on the agenda, Stuart. See if they don't fix that, nothing else will matter. Fully understand. There'll be nobody, no one else there. Couldn't agree more. I wouldn't be there. Yep. Well, rest assured that the Herald and the Glasgow Times will highlight these issues and try and provoke some action because we need to tackle it. But thank you, Stuart. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Derek Proven, Chief Executive of AGS Airports. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode of the show, simply search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. 
document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we turn the guest spotlight on Derek Proven, Chief Executive of AGS Airports Limited, owners of Aberdeen, Glasgow and Southampton Airports. If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, you can catch it by searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. But before we chat to Derek and the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of James Paraffin Young. James Paraffin Young was arguably the world's first chemical engineer. He was born in the Drygate area of Glasgow in 1811, the son of a cabinet maker and joiner. When he was old enough, he became his father's apprentice, but attended evening classes in chemistry at the nearby Anderson's College, now Strathclyde University, from the age of 19. In 1839, Young was appointed manager at James Muspratt's Chemical Works near St Helens, Merseyside, before moving to Tennant's Clough & Co in Manchester in 1844. His major scientific discovery came in 1847, when he noticed oil leaking from the ceiling of a Derbyshire coal mine. He deduced from this that there must be a way of intentionally extracting oil from the coal if it was heated. Following a series of experiments, he succeeded in producing several petroleum-like fluids from coal, one of which he called paraffin oil. He patented this technique in 1850 and, along with two partners, founded a business in Bathgate that became the first commercial oil refinery in the world. In 1865, Young bought out his business partners and built a second, larger refinery at Adewell near West Calder to exploit the rich oil shales found in the area. The company continued to grow and expanded its operations, selling paraffin oil and paraffin lamps all over the world, earning its founder the nickname Paraffin Young. The Addywell Refinery was a substantial industrial complex, in its time one of the largest chemical works in Scotland. The business was a worldwide success, selling oil and paraffin lamps as far afield as America. Although Young remained in the company, he took no active part in it, instead withdrawing from business to occupy himself with yachting, travelling and scientific pursuits. He died aged 71 in 1838. But in the 1900s, his company was extracting nearly 2 million tonnes of shale annually and employed 4,000 men. So thanks to Paraffin Young, Scotland was at one time the largest producer of refined oil in the world. Well, you two will be uh, old enough to remember paraffin lamps, won't you? <laughs> oh, don't you start, Donald. Don't you start. Yeah. What a story. What a story. And, and the amazing thing about the story of paraffin you know, when they obviously knew what Young was doing in Scotland, so when they found their own oil in America, if you think about this, all the oil, they were extracting only the paraffin from oil and their 90% was being thrown away. And then electricity came and then obviously Edison told everyone to buy light bulbs instead of paraffin lamps. So the, the oil industry thought, that God, this is us knackered. And then what happens? Ford... 10 years later, invents a petrol engine and suddenly 90% that were thrown away, they became multi-billionaires overnight with something that was going in the bin 10 years earlier and all because of Mr Young. So, well done to Paraffin Young. What a story. Yeah, it's a brilliant success story. It's, it's another one of these stories. I didn't know the story of James Paraffin Young. 
Um, but, you know, Scotland was leading the world at this time. So I, I take inspiration from this and hopefully our listeners will take inspiration and let's get Scotland leading the world again. Yep. Indeed, and we've got a perfect guest to help Scotland lead the world again. AGS Airports Chief Executive Derek Province. So, Derek, your airports are key to Scotland's economic recovery. What's been the impact of COVID and how are you looking forward to the future? Well, I think the impact of aviation has been clear over the last two years. We were the first industry because of the global nature of the industry to be affected and we're very likely to be the last to come back out at the other side. For our airports and for all airports, virtually overnight, we went from 100% operation to 1% operation. Wow. And that pretty much stayed the same for 18 solid months. Over that two-year period, we had only... Actually, over the two-year period, we only had three months where we operated uh, into any form of profit or break-even uh, position. And, of course, we're a big infrastructure organisation so that the operational costs are exactly the same. You know, the 80% of our costs are fixed. And so, therefore, we had zero revenue, but 80% in cost for a two-year period. Wow. So, it, it, it was huge to us. Um, and, of course, the people who pay most beyond the customers are the people who work in the business. And we had to let go 30% of uh, the workforce. And if you look at that, Directly and indirectly, we're talking about 2,500 people, 2,000 in Glasgow Airport alone, which is, these are the sad statistics that get missed during these uh, pandemic years. Well, more positively, how, how long do you think it'll take for airports to recover and what are the wider implications for Scotland? Yes, it's going to take some time uh, to recover. If you look at the market today, but 23 airlines went bust over that period in Europe. That's about 44 million seats out of capacity wow. and about 300 wow. aircraft. Now, a lot of these aircraft were end-of-life aircraft that have been retired, so they're no longer in the system. But there's still the same number of airports because in Europe, most of the airports are state-owned. So therefore, we've got far greater competition now to win back those routes and win back uh, those airlines. So we're forecasting just now that it will be... 2025 before we get back to uh, pre-pandemic levels. And to put that in some perspective, things are getting better now. People are travelling, restrictions have been lifted. That's not a light switch for aviation. By the end of this year, we've been a far better place than we have in the last two years. We'll still be operating at 1995 levels. We're still two decades behind Gee. where we were. You know, We work hard to create this connectivity for the country and for the regions. And we've got a couple of decades to pick up over the next five years. Derek, can I ask you, do you believe that the, the help from government was sufficient? So I think um, a couple of things. We never really asked for, uh, beyond furlough, which was a massive help to us, we never really asked for any financial help. We have global shareholders who support the business and take the business forward. What we looked for was engagement from government to allow us to recover as quickly as possible. And even today, we still ask for the same thing. We don't ask for a reliance on any government money. We'll deal with our own business. We'll generate the business moving forward. But what we need to do is we need to start to market the country and we need to start to market the regions in a way that we don't do today because the airlines need to know why they're going to fly 
to the region or the country. They don't fly to airports. Airports are purely facilitators. Yeah. Tom? So, yeah, um, Derek, I mean, your CV reads, you've been in airports all your life. You've been involved at Heathrow. You've been involved all over the country. Now you're um, back home in Glasgow as, as such. So what do you see as the airport contributing to the well-being and helping Scotland flourish? What what do you need Glasgow Airport? Where's the magic wand? If you if we could give you three wishes, what would they be? Okay, so you're absolutely right. Um, if you look at Aberdeen and Glasgow Airport alone, to the Scottish economy, we generate about £2 billion a year and we support about 30,000 jobs. Wow. And to allow us to continue to do that, if I had three wishes, the first would be at firstly better marketing of the uh, the regions in Scotland. Something that says you want to fly to Scotland that the airlines feel is important to do so. Secondly, certainly for Glasgow is surface access. We have been speaking about a rail link. I've been round the houses and rail links three times now. I had the Glasgow Airport rail link, I had tram train, and now I have a metro. We had a connectivity commission that clearly stated we needed a, a, a metro or a rail link for Glasgow Airport. We are the only airport of its size in Europe that only has road as access. Uh, so certainly we need to get moving on that uh, straight away. And lastly, I think we need that understanding from government that we generate £2, two billion pounds GVA every year. We recognise that there's some real uh, challenges for aviation going forward, particularly around climate change. But we need to change the ministerial rhetoric around the binary nature of fly or don't fly. We shouldn't be making people feel guilty to fly. Yeah, and and listen, can I ask a parochial question? I I, I live down by Presswick Airport and I actually use it, but do you see a future for Presswick Airport? So first, Tom, what I would say is we have no issue with Presswick Airport being back in commercial hands. Actually, the only way you can gauge the quality of your own business by the co- is by the competition that, that you have elsewhere. Yeah. The issue we've got here is we've got a completely distorted market. We've got an airport on our doorstep that operates with free capital and free money. If I had £54 million put into my organisation, that would have been a far better place than I am today. So I do believe that Presswick has a future. I don't believe it has a future as a passenger flying airport. I believe it has a future as a logistics and cargo uh, business and it's a piece of infrastructure that Scotland should be finding a very different way of making far better use of than it is today. Yeah. I, I always assumed that Presswick would be a really good strategic buy for use for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Is <laughs> that watch this space? <laughs> you heard the here first. Uh, 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 the silence says everything. It's up for sale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's, well, it's not actually. Was it not? Uh, no, no I, I mean, this is a, No, that, I think that was a miscommunication. Um, so, yeah, no, that's not the case just now. And, yeah, certainly I think it could be a real value to Scotland if it was operated yeah. in a very different way and managed in a very different way. If I was still chairman of Scottish Enterprise Glasgow, I'd be helping you with that acquisition, Derek. You talked earlier about one of your wishes is better marketing of the regions. Yeah. Doesn't Visit Scotland do that or are they too narrowly focused? I don't know whether they're too narrowly focused or too broadly focused or there's too many attachments to any help that you get. 
I think what we need now is for the regions to stand alone and market the regions with the help of the Scottish government. And we have, you know, we, particularly in Glasgow, we've got an absolute track record. We used to have the Glasgow Marketing Bureau. That's right. We had a route development fund, and actually, Tom, that would probably, if, if I'm allowed four wishes, then it would, number four would be a route development fund. Right. We used to have a route development fund in Glasgow that helped us with the airlines and effectively helped the airlines market. When the airlines create a new route, it costs them about two to three million pounds to market that route. And what they look for is a way in which they can de-risk that marketing by some help from the regions. And if the regions are prepared to do that, it demonstrates the importance of that route to the region. Granted, over a period of time, there were state aid issues uh, that got in the way of that, and that stopped the Route Development Fund uh, going back a number of years. But clearly, that's no longer the case. And so we believe that Scotland needs to market itself. Um, you know, I've I said this often, it's probably a very blunt way of trying to put it across, but... If we're not connected globally, how do we do business globally? How do we get inward investment? Where does inward tourism come from? Where does international students come from? How does the hospitality trade operate? Because surely we're not expecting to go back to the 1800s where we jump on a ship to go to New York to do a business deal. And teams are great at digital platforms are fantastic, but if you're doing a multi-million pound deal and you guys will know better than me, you want to put some feet in the ground. You want to make sure that the factory is there. They've got the capability and the capacity to do that business. You can't do that on a Teams meeting. And a Teams meeting, sometimes you can't even tell the height of the person that you're speaking to, never mind what capability they've <laughs> sometimes got. Sometimes I'm quite happy about that, Derek. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, can I ask you, I'm, I'm really interested, as a, as a business leader, you said earlier your, your business went, you know, you were 100% and then it fell to 1%. How do you as the leader of that business, get everybody, explain it, and just say, look, this is going to be okay. How did you actually do it? Because that is a hell of a task. It's interesting because actually, the minute it happened, the first question that that I had, you know, first discussion I had to have with the board was, do we remain open or do we close? Right. Because um, clearly we weren't going to generate any revenues. And actually, it was a far simpler conversation than I expected us to have because that's when we realised that, you know, we're a lot more than just a business that generates a P&L. We're a piece of national uh, infrastructure. And therefore, there are people who live in the highlands and islands of Scotland. There are people who live remote rural. There are people who live in the, the Channel Islands who need to travel to the mainland for, you know, life and death hospital appointments operations, we needed to get PPE into the country. We needed to fly clinicians up and down as we tried to grasp with this four nations approach that sometimes worked and sometimes never. So we decided very quickly that we would stay open regardless of loss. Right. We had to make the, the obvious changes and restructures to the business to reduce that OPEX. But what it did do is it made us re-look at who we are as a business rather than what we are as a P&L. And during that time, we spent an awful lot of time with people rewriting the purpose of the business. We see ourselves as a purpose-led business today more so than we ever had. A, our purpose now is to make national and international connections that support the regions helping people within them prosper. And by doing that, people really kind of joined with us. We worked with our teams. They really joined with us to say, we can buy into that because we can't buy into the world that we're living in just now, which is if we're 
if our success factor is uh, designed around making profit, we don't have a success factor. And an example of that would be in the first month of the pandemic. I've always been um, really close to charities working with homeless people. And of course, when you see the, the cities empty, you think, well, how do homeless people, where do they get money? How do they? So we took all of the homeless people in Glasgow off the streets for a month and put them into a hotel. Wow. Oh, that's great. And then that generated other like-minded organisations that kept that going for months and months on end. For our people, they could connect with that as opposed to trying to connect with a failing P&L. And I think that, joining that together, started to make the difference. And, you know, certainly we're a, a far better place today than we were before this pandemic. It's actually accelerated some of the purpose-led work that we should have been doing before that. I think that's a brilliant, a brilliant answer, Derek. So, well done. Can I ask, Derek, obviously somebody, you know, who knows a bit about Glasgow, why did nobody know about that? Well, actually, we we did, you know, we did put it out. It was in the press, but there was so much going on during that pandemic, it just got yeah. lost. And and to be honest, uh, so much of the restrictions and the government uh, rhetoric between UK and Scotland, a lot of the good stuff got lost yeah. during that time. Yeah. You've also had to cope with a push for net zero. Flying planes as, uh, and operating airports is not seen as a good thing in this new green world. How are you going to adapt to that challenge? Yeah, so I, I think firstly, um, these aren't binary decisions at this moment in time. There is a thing that we don't speak about, which is called just transition. You know, in the 1960s, we found oil and that everything then turned to an oil-based carbonaceous world. Everybody wanted plastics. Everybody wanted to be able to use plastics and, and use and throw away. That, for the last 60 years, that's been our life. Now, clearly, it's not the life that we need moving forward to save the planet, and we need to transition to something new. But that doesn't happen overnight, and I think we've got a society now that thinks that just by stating that it has to happen, by definition, it will. As an industry, we have got a roadmap. We've got a roadmap that will get us to net zero by 2050. Um, we believe it to be highly credible. As a business, I've got a roadmap that will have us uh, at net zero for our own emissions, by the mid-2030s. Um, it's costed, it's board approved. We will be able to deliver it. And we've been able to decouple growth and uh, CO2 emissions for many years. If you look at from a, an aviation uh, perspective, we're still operating the same level of CO2 as we were in 1992, but we've quadrupled the volume of passengers that, that are flying. So they are decoupled and we can do more around it as a business. You know, we um 100% renewables, we're carbon neutral. We've just announced uh, one of Scotland's biggest solar farms, a 30-acre site next to the airport, which would um, provide enough energy for 52,000 homes. Um, and we've created the Scottish Wind Farm Consortium, which again is looking at static wind sites, but it's not large wind turbines. It's small one-metre cubed oscillating aerofoils that can be placed up and down the side of motorways and the side of our runways to generate fuel. So we believe that we can grow and we can meet the 2050 transition, but we have to transition. It's going to take time. And an example would be next year, Logan Air will fly from Aberdeen to an island in uh, Scotland using hydrogen aircraft. Brilliant. This is within 12 months. Yeah, amazing. 
You've obviously been inspirational for the business through the pandemic and throughout your career, but and I ask you finally, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way? Something I've always known, but probably the last two years I've probably picked it up even more so, um, is that the pe- people remember the way the way they're led and the way they're treated and the way they're valued far more than they remember what the bottom line was three or four years ago. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Thank you, Derek. Derek, again, thank you very much for coming today. Great insight in the airport, and hopefully we can't wait until you get back to 100% again. It's a pleasure, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Derek, it's, it's great to hear from you, and um, I'd certainly go away knowing that Glasgow Airport's in safe hands, so good on you. Thank you. is in safe hands. After the break, we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice. If you want to take part, simply email your questions to gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode of the show, search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Providing secure archive storage to your business. Go Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. We're going to our phone lines now to talk to Sharon Timmons. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you very much. Hello there. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Before you put your question to Tom and Willie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, my name's Sharon Timmons, I'm 50. At the moment, I'm more or less staying home with my kids, but I have developed a fun modern charity fundraising app, which I'm hoping could potentially generate lots of money for multiple charities. I've worked in the charity sector um, most of my life, but as a support worker, so I have actually been very hands-on and doing actually the the sort of more hands-on tasks, if you like. I've never done any fundraising side. I've never done any business side. Um, but I've actually thought of a hopefully really good idea for to generate a lot of money for charities. Oh, great. So what's your question then for Tom and Willie? Okay, my question is, my fundraising app is all written down on paper because like I say, I've got absolutely no technical or no business experience. So who could I approach that could look over my ideas and help me turn them into a real app, a real thing? Right, Tom, that's one for you. Right, Sharon. So, hi, Sharon, it's Tom here. So, hi, Tom. I can help you, or at least I know people who can help you. Oh, that would be fabulous. At the Kilt Walk, we have just launched our new app. And um, so therefore, the team there have just been through all the stuff that you need to go through. So I'm going to put you in touch with Paul Cooney and Suzanne, who's our marketing director there, and they will help you to see if what you've got in your head could actually help these charities. So I'm delighted to be able to help you. Willie? Oh, that would be fantastic. Right, Sharon. Sharon, this is a Dragon's Den moment. I'm going to help you more than him. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because I've got the guy that that can... Sorry, on you go. Funnily enough, somebody 
pitched a charity fundraising app on Dragon's Den just two weeks ago and all five dragons fought over it. But it was completely different to mine, but all five dragons wanted to invest. Well, ah. Tom could probably get you on Dragon's Den before me, but where <laughs> I can help you is I've, the, I've got the guys in my building that can turn your bits of paper into the app. Perfect. And then we can get to Paul Cooney to see if it's any good for the kill walk. So this is right. a tough Perfect. moment for you, Sharon. Who who do you think you would rather go with? Is it Tom or is it Willie? I want to be 50-50 with oh, them. Oh, I right. want all the, all the philanthropic experience that they bring to, to this idea because I want to make this really successful for charity. You're a real that entrepreneur, really, Sharon. Yep. You yes. said like a real entrepreneur. You want it all. You want yes. your cake. And I your really do. I mean, some of the ideas I've got, they're, they're literally huge. So, you know, whatever celebrities or famous people that you know, I've got ideas up my sleeve for them. So that would right. be fantastic because you can get your thinking caps on for them. Sharon, let's see if your first one works. Build up a bit of credibility. Boy, this is getting <laughs> tough, really old Dragon's Den. Really good one for you. No, no, don't really go there. Don't go there. Here. Here's a wee bit of advice for you. Let's get a bit of credibility. Let's see if your wee bits of paper mean anything. If they don't, we'll phone you, okay? <laughs> so, here's a here's a tough question for for Tom and Willie. Can you two work on a fifty fifty basis? Absolutely. Ah, Absolutely. As long as we're not putting money in. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> well, I'm hoping if you would have to put money in, it would actually come back to you and that the things that would be on the app would end up making your money back for you as well as the money for the charity. You would break even. Well, I can give you an exclusive on that one, Sharon. We agreed when we agreed to do this programme that we would never invest in anybody that phoned in. <laughs> So I'm sorry to burst your bubble there, but but what I will do is if you've got a good idea, right? Obviously you can tell that his entrepreneurs are brutal, right? And I'll never go into Dragon's Den. But what we'll do is I will certainly after we're finished the show today, I'll get the guys here to connect you to me, and then I'll get you in front of my programmers, and we'll see if your app works. Oh, that would be so good. That really would be perfect. We will definitely be able to help because, um, as I say, the kilt walk's just been through this whole thing. So between yeah. Willie and I, um, I'm sure we can help. Yeah. Uh, hopefully your app's going to work. That'll be brilliant. Uh, delighted by the call oh, and hopefully you're happy with that advice great. from Tom and Willie. Thank you for calling. Oh, if you've got All right, the people to put me in touch, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thanks, Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've time for. But don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. If you ever miss an episode, you can find us by simply searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. The work from anywhere experts. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. 
Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.